Guys, Jesus is coming soon. How do we know? Well, he said that when it's time for him to come back and all the signs associated with that time, that there will be false Christs that arise. And when the two pairs of fishermen brothers ask him the questions concerning the signs of his return, he said, make sure you're not deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. The is not in the original Greek. They make a claim to have an association with the name of Jesus. And remember, Christos means anointing. So in the last days, there will be those who come forward claiming an anointing associated with the name of Jesus. And this is why we need to understand how Jesus closed up the Sermon on the Mount with that final warning, having warned about false teachers and said, many will come in my name saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do a whole bunch of churchy type stuff in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them what? Depart from me. I what? I never knew you, not I used to know you and then you walked away from me. I never knew you at all because you are those who practice lawlessness. There are people today claiming an anointing of God all around us. And we are living in a season of history where false religions and false anointed claims and false Christ are rampant in our day. And we have a text today that will help us understand our role in that exact situation by another of the giants of scripture. One of my favorite personalities in the Bible, and I'm sure yours too. A man who bears the same name as our Savior. His name in the Hebrew is Yehoshua. His name means God is salvation. We know him as Joshua. And would you turn to Joshua chapter 24 this morning, and we'll look at verses 14 and 15, which contains one of the most famous statements in all of Scripture. Now, just a reminder, we're at a men's retreat. We've been talking about what it means to be a man, how it is we are to live as a man, what we're going to experience as a man, and that it is time to take a stand as a man. But we are men, amen? Amen. And I couldn't help but think of the story of a young guy who just finished business school. He'd gotten a loan from the bank. He was setting up shop. And he finally had the keys to his office. His office furniture had been delivered and he was seated behind his desk on the very first day that he flipped the open for business sign up. And as he's sitting behind his desk all by himself, he sees somebody walking across the parking lot headed for the door. So as soon as this guy approaches the door, the young man behind the desk picks up the phone and starts wheeling and dealing. And he starts talking big numbers and big business. And soon the man had entered the door from the parking lot, was standing across the desk from him, and he was still negotiating. He was still driving home. He was still closing. And finally, he acts like he just spotted the guy. He covers the uh, mouthpiece of the phone, and he says, can I help you? And the guy says, yeah, I'm just here to hook up your phone. (laughs) We are an interesting breed, amen? We are competitive. We are men designed by God. 
and we are distinct from our counterparts. And every time the May-June season rolls around, I always find it interesting how the Mother's and Father's Day celebrations are commemorated. If you think about it on Mother's Day, mothers take a well-deserved break from all the things that they do, and others do that for them. Children offer burnt offerings to their mom in the morning and call it breakfast. Father's Day is quite different. On Mother's Day, moms get a break from all the things that they normally do. On Father's Day, dads do all the things they normally do. They just don't get in trouble for it. <laughs> Psalm 68:35 says, Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. And that's our subject this morning for our final session together, and I've titled it simply, Manpower. Manpower is our title this morning, and Joshua 24 is our text, and it is the farewell address of a powerful man of God, one who had served as the field general for Moses, and when Aaron and Hur were holding up the arms of Moses on the mountain, it was Joshua who was down on the battlefield winning the victory for the glory of the Lord. In verse 29, uh, this man now who has filled the great shoes of Moses, he is called a servant of the Lord. And this is the very phrase used to describe Moses as well. And in our text, much like Jacob spoke over his 12 sons prior to his death, Joshua is now giving an exhortation to the entire nation of Israel in which he makes one of the most frequently reprinted and quoted statements in all of scripture where he says, as for me and my house, finish it, we will serve the Lord. Men, God has called us to lead. We're born to the task. If you're married, you're to be a compassionate husband. If you're a dad, you're to be a loving dad. If you're single, you're to be a warrior for God. If you're a fiance or boyfriend or a girlfriend, have a girlfriend, you are to ensure that your habitation is holy and right before God. Now, I want to remind us all in this closing session of learning how exactly we walk like a man, three truths from Joshua's farewell address about the manpower that God has given to you and to me. The power to lead, the power to stand, the power to prevail in all things. Now, we've noted multiple times in our previous sessions that it's quite popular to berate and belittle men and like uh, statements that are often made by women sometimes, it's things like this that we hear today. The man may wear the pants in the family, but the woman picks them out. Or the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. We all hear statements like that. Well, listen, guys, picking out clothes doesn't make you a man. You can wear plaid pants with a striped shirt and unmatching tennis shoes and socks and still be a man. Amen? Obviously, I'm talking about golfers here. Not just a male but a man, a real man, a man of power. So let's take a look at a real man of power from one of the giants of biblical history who walked in the power that knowing God afforded him. Joshua chapter 24, we'll look at 14 and 15, and then we'll go back and revisit some of the portions of it. Read with me, please, Joshua 24 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. 
And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and Mikasa, we will do what? Serve the Lord. Father, that is our cry this morning. No matter what's going on in the world, we want to serve you. We want to understand better from our time and topic this morning, and certainly our text, of the power that knowing you has brought into our lives for walking in such a time as this, surrounded by the deities that we see mentioned here in Joshua's day. They're still present with us today. Teach us how to walk in power, manpower given to us by the Savior of all the earth. We thank you for our time all weekend and again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing that jumps out, at me anyway, is the difference between the power of a real man and the power that the world is selling us. Now, real men are fearless in one sense, afraid of nothing, you know, the John Wayne kind of fearless, those old movies where we see him just charge into whatever the battle scene may be or ride the horse into the scenario that would normally have killed others, but John Wayne is fearless. Today, fearless means not afraid to cry at movies or share your feelings, that feminine side thing that none of us have that was taken from us when God created woman from our side. But the first thing the former field general for Moses and now commander-in-chief of Israel says is that manpower begins with fear. But it's not fear of situations. It's not fear of circumstances. It's not fear of earthly adversaries. It is the fear of the Lord. And as we have mentioned, King David said in Psalm 34, 11, come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Obviously, King David, another giant of the faith, who fearlessly fought and defeated Goliath, shows as a father that part of his role is to teach his children the fear of the Lord, the awesome respect of God. And Joshua adds an important connection here where he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Now there is a huge difference in serving God out of obligation and adoration. And Joshua connects those two dots for us here. So let's put this all together and arrive at our first manpower principle, which is this. A man of power is not afraid to express his love and surrender to God. A man of power is not afraid to express his love and surrender to God. I love God. I'm thankful to God. I'm grateful for my salvation. And I'm not afraid to tell that to anybody. And I don't care what people think of me afterwards. I don't care if they think I'm weak. I know that's not true. I know that I have the power of God within me and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. So other people's opinions about me are not my concern. I'm more concerned about serving God, loving God, serving him through a heart of admiration, not through some type of restrictive obligation where, oh, I better do this or I better do that. No, I get to do this. I get to do that. Listen, it is an undeserved privilege for me to stand up here before you and crack the word of God open and study it together. I didn't earn this. I don't deserve it. God gave me this great blessing and I am thankful for it every time I get to open this book 
and share from its pages. And God has given you things that you don't deserve either, that you couldn't earn or couldn't possibly do. And therefore, we ought to serve him as a lifetime of adoration for all that he has done for us. And we've talked about the fact that people look at us sometimes, even as men, and say, and I had somebody say this to me, actually a family, family member who we have prayed for for uh, probably the whole 35 years of our marriage where we've been on fire for the Lord. Well, she said, you know, I'm glad you found something that helps you. I hate that, don't you? Or when people say, you know, I'm glad that you found religion. I didn't find religion. Jesus found me. The Father drew, drew me to him, as John 6, says. No man comes unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus speaking. Well, she might have been glad that we found something that helps us, my sister-in-law that is, but guess what? She found the same help. Now she loves Jesus. After three decades of prayer for her. Now, let me remind you of something. I always find this interesting, where we have a list of those character traits that wind up unrepentant character traits that wind up costing one their soul and, and gain them an eternal destiny in hell. In Revelation 21.8, John says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, that's the pharmacia word, drug uh, abusers and users, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I've always found it interesting that the first descriptive term used is the coward. And isn't that what we're always accused of being? Weak-minded, weak-kneed people that need that sort of thing. And we're going to put a little bit more skin on this in a few moments. But let me just say this. Real men love and serve God. And they're not cowards, and they're not fools. Fools say no to God. Cowards wind up in hell. Heaven is for the mighty. Heaven is for the unashamed. And a real man is not afraid of what society thinks or tries to describe him as. And real manpower is not influenced by how culture is trying to diminish our roles. And men, if you're a married man, God puts you as the head of the home, and nothing's going to change that. And remember all the verses that says when the man's not the head of the home or the spiritual leader, the wife becomes that? Remember all those verses? Let's quote them together. Oh, that's right. There aren't any. You're always going to be the head of the home as a husband. The question is, where are you leading? What direction is your home going? And you have the power to fulfill your role. It's not a role of a monarch, but as a role model. And one who follows the example of Jesus and serves the God they love. Now, just in case anyone might think, well, you know, Joshua's Old Testament and his words are a bit outdated or irrelevant. Well, Hebrews passes the doctrinal baton into the New Testament age as well, where Hebrews says this in 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, aren't you glad for that today? Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God used to be a consuming fire. No, our God is a consuming fire. And as I've told you guys, I like football. I like bone-crushing hits on the goal line. I like seeing a running back get stopped just a, a quarter of an inch away from the goal line by some hefty lineman or linebacker. 
I like diving catches on the warning track. I love watching big wave surfing at Mavericks. I like the adrenaline junkies that participate in the X Games. I love watching Triple D. You know what that is, man? Diners, drive-ins, and dives, <laughs> where they highlight hamburgers, one of my favorite foods. I like all those things, but you know what? You can do all those things without manpower, without real manpower. You can be gutsy, you can be an adrenaline junkie or whatever and do any of those things, but a real man, a man of real and true power is unashamed that others know that he loves Jesus and that he submits to his lordship and he serves God in sincerity and truth. I have to say, guys, I have been blessed to meet you, to hang with you, to get to know your pastor because I'll tell you one thing I can say with full confidence this morning, I'm in a room filled with real men. Men who aren't afraid to worship. Men who aren't afraid to say, I need God. And I love him and I want to serve him. Men who stand up for God. Men who walk in power. Men who are wise enough to pray. Men who understand the need to serve God. Real men, unafraid of others, knowing that they love and serve the Lord God Almighty and walk like a man all the days of their life. I love what Pastor Brett was saying, that it isn't over. And it's not over at the final amen today. It's not over after communion. It's not over after you get home. We're gonna walk like a man the rest of the days of our lives, amen? amen. Unashamed that we know Christ and submit to him as our Lord and Savior. Look at the second half of verse 14 once again, and we'll pick it up after the word truth. The next exhortation of Joshua, and down through the middle of 15 says, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, that being the Jordan, and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now the Amorites that Joshua is referring to are often labeled uh, by historians as the old Babylonians. And they inhabited a city that we now know of as Babylon, but the Amorite city actually went by the name of Akkad. That was its original name. And it was during the mid 17th century BC that the most famous of its rulers ruled during a season of their history. His name was Hammurabi and he wrote the famous code of the Hammurabi. And it was Hammurabi who introduced into Amorite culture the god Marduk. And he's also referred to Bel in Daniel's day. And all the fertility rituals associated with Marduk, including the incorporation of temple prostitutes, were born in the city of Akkad under the reign of Hammurabi. Marduk was the storm god who symbolized agricultural fertility and therefore prosperity to the people. He was an idol that was represented by a snake dragon. Let's see, what are two pictures used of Satan? He's a, in the garden, he's a what? He's a snake and in Revelation he's a dragon. So obviously we know who's behind this particular deity. And he was portrayed in Babylon, the snake dragon, in a protective stance over the city gates on the gate of Ishtar, and Ishtar was the goddess of love and war. Now what does all this have to do with having manpower in the 21st century? Just everything. Joshua says, 
put away, which implies the power to do so. He says, put away the gods of the Amorites. Now, in English, men, that means that God has given you the authority and power to put away the snake dragon and all of his companions of greed, sexual perversion, immorality, and idolatry from your heart, from your minds, and from your homes. And in Ephesians 4, 21 to 24, Paul says, If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, him being Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, that you do what? Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, please note that all those beautiful verses in Ephesians precede those in Ephesians 5 that commissioned man as the head of the home. Now, let me therefore put this in point form for a second observation this morning, and you can jot this down as well. And listen, guys, a man of real power promotes heaven in his home while protecting it from hell. A man of real power promotes heaven in his home while protecting it from hell. We have a dual responsibility in our houses and we must do both of those things, even and maybe especially you young and single men. Don't think God doesn't, or the Satan doesn't want your hide tacked on his trophy wall because he's after you too, just as he is after every married man. And when a married man fails to promote heaven and protect his home from the snake dragon, that leaves the wife to face the enemy alone, which is not her job. It's yours and mine as husbands and dads, if you are one. Now think about what Jesus said in Luke 9.1 when he called the 12 disciples together. And this phrase, the next phrase that follows after calling them together, it says, he gave them power and all authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, all those things being paired together are significant because the heart and the crux of the issue is the preaching of the kingdom of God and healing the sick are basically confirmation signs of miraculous power. And the authority over all demons says we're going to be engaged in spiritual warfare the whole of our life of ministry and serving God. There is a spiritual authority that God has given to his men, even over demonic forces that seek to invade your home. And God has called us to promote heaven and protect our homes from hell. For hell is determined to take it over. And its very gates, the Bible says, will not prevail against God's church. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't know, some of you guys that watch football, I'm not a Patriots fan, my wife is, but I forgive her for that. Go Broncos. Sorry. 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 I had to confess my sin before you, so. Maybe you remember the commercial. Corey Dillon, number 28, was shown watching the opposing team come into the stadium. And as the other team was running into the stadium, the camera was on Corey Dillon, and he said words that I still remember to this day. It was a great commercial, even though I don't even know what it was about. But he said this, not in my house. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. In other words, you ain't coming into my house and taking home a W. When you come into my house, you're taking home a loss. 
We need to have that attitude when the devil tries to assault our houses. Not my house, not today, not tomorrow, not ever. And if the enemy wants our house, he's going to have to come through us. And the one in us is greater than the one who is after us. Amen. And that's how God ordained it. And listen, men, we of all people are not to be the weak link of ungodliness, which opens the door of the snake dragon into our home. And remember, I quoted Isaiah 54, 17. That's a verse I think every Christian needs to remember. And Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon, say no weapon. No weapon weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that speaks against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Men, don't get pushed around by culture. And certainly not by peer pressure, that of your friends, your carnal or unsaved friends. And you know, I think we have to make a distinction here and pause for a moment as we interact with society. We need to be careful about getting locked into a Christian bubble. The world needs us. We need to interact with non-believers. Amen? But we need to understand when we're in church, we're in fellowship. When we're interacting with non-believers, we're in the ministry. We're not in fellowship with non-believers. We're in the ministry to non-believers. We're to share the gospel of Christ with them. So listen, guys, not allowing our homes to be infiltrated or pushed around by culture, we need to make sure of a couple of things, especially you dads out there. Don't put in front of the eyes of your son the temple prostitutes of the movie and uh, music industry. Be a model for them by keeping your eyes pure as well. Dads, listen, don't get bullied by some teenage drama mama who wants to drag this school dirt bag home and introduce him to you as your boyfriend. Listen, if he doesn't know Jesus, he's not a candidate to date your daughter. And you be the man over your house. Men, you need to know what your wife is reading and studying. There are a lot of things out there that are trying to infiltrate the home via women. And there are a lot of things that they study today because it touches them on the soft and emotional side that we don't necessarily have. We tend to be more or less emotional, more cranial in our dealing with things, just bottom line things. But listen, there's a book out there that millions of American women are reading that have been bought even by many men. It's called Jesus Calling. And the author says she took dictation from God. And she writes the book in the first person. And she says, I want you to know this. I want you to think this. I want you to feel this today as though she's God. And when you say that what you wrote is dictation from God, you're making your book equal to the Holy Bible. And that is just not so. Man, do you know what's coming into your house? You have to promote heaven in your home while you protect it from hell, whether you are a single man a married man, single dad, whatever it may be, your divinely ordained manpower is to protect your home and promote heaven within it. If we won't, the snake dragon would love to move in. Let's move on to that most famous of statements in Scripture, one we all love and know. As Joshua says, you can make a choice to serve the Amorite gods. You can choose the snake dragon if you want, but as for me and my what? House, those under my realm of responsibility, as for me and my house, we will serve 
the Lord. You have to back it up to what he means by serving the Lord in sincerity and in truth. Now, there's a great lesson we can learn here from Joshua, especially in light of our last few comments. And dads, listen, Ephesians reminds us in 6.4, to fathers not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, I think we all recognize God has given us as men fewer words. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to go any further than that. But there's statistics about how many words women speak versus how many words men speak. But I have to tell you, the words that are fitly spoken by a loving father are like apples of gold in settings of silver. And I believe that this could be a metaphor for the ears of those under our protective care. The apples of gold and setting for silver, the things that, settings of silver, the things that our children hear from us as we admonish them and train them in the ways of the Lord. And men, listen, there's one king and he is the king of kings. And we express our love to the family by serving the king. And there's no better way for us to love our family than for us to love and serve God and be the kind of man that God has made us into as he poured his spirit into us and empowered us to live in the manner that he has defined in scripture. But men, no matter what society says or tries to force on us, you have a role that cannot be fulfilled by a woman. She is incapable, as incapable of being you as you are incapable of being her. And contrary to this movement that is sweeping our country today, two moms are not as good as a mom and a dad. And two dads do not equal a dad and a mom. Amen. And men, as you lead your home, whatever that may look like, married, single dad, or just a single guy, the promoter of heaven and protector from hell is your role in your home. And that leads us to this last truth, this blessed Sunday morning, and it's just this. Listen, a man of real power has a walk that matches his talk. A man of real power has a walk that matches his talk. It's not just lip service. It's not just saying, oh, I love God. It's displaying how much we love God. And Joshua speaks on behalf of his whole household, and he stands in his God-ordained place as a spiritual covering of his home and says, as for me, that's where it starts, as for me and my house, we collectively will do what? Serve, Serve the Lord. Now listen, guys. I was thinking back as we've been talking so much in our sessions about our early married life. You know, even after I got my life straightened out for several years, I was what I like to call a Christian bonehead. You know, I just had this whole submission thing wrong. You know, the word submit used in Ephesians just means to come under arrangement. It's actually associated with military terms as is headship. Headship in the home means the part most readily taken hold of. And you know what that means is when the house is messed up, the noggin that God's going to come knocking on is that of the man. And the wife is to submit to the husband loving her as Christ loved the church. But I had the idea that, you know what? A man's home is his castle. You know what I believe now? I get the garage and half of the bed and the rest is hers. And she manages our household just like the Proverbs 31 woman. But I will tell you this. It's not about saying, wife, you're going to submit. 
Joshua is saying, as long as I'm alive, the devil ain't getting into this house. And I will be to my house a model of the heavenly father's love for me. And men of God this morning, do we know what it means to have manpower, real power, divine power? And let me mention again one of my favorite passages. We read this earlier from 1 Samuel 17, 26, when David was speaking and said, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And he made that statement again, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And I had to get this in again because I like it. It's awesome. And it is manpower on full display from a teenage boy. We need to get more of that kind of thinking in our lives. Who does the devil think he is trying to mess with my house? Who does he think he is trying to get into my DVD collection? Who does he think he is trying to infiltrate my magazine rack? Who does he think he is trying to take control of my search history on my computer? Who does he think he is? Not in my house. Me in this house, we will serve the Lord. Now listen, the devil is going to try and entice us into sin. And may I remind you, it's not a sin to be tempted. Hello? It's not a, be, a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to sin. It's a sin to give in to temptation and the enticements of the enemy. So the fact that you have male testosterone and it may eat thoughts into your mind, it's not about that which creeps into your mind. It's that which happens in your life that we have complete control over. Have you ever been driving along? I have been driving to church of all things sometimes and the devil pops some horrific thought in my head. Some hideous thing from the past or some perverted thought that was just totally random out of nowhere. Am I up here by myself today? Does anybody else know? Okay, let's backtrack. You guys delete that off the tape. No, we've all had that, right? Just some crazy random thing pops in our head and, and, and you know, driving to church, the devil wants me to start thinking and going into a downward spiral of you dirtbag, you scum, listen to what you're thinking on the way to church. And I have to remember to say, you said it. And that's what Paul was talking about. It's no longer I who sin, but sin that dwells in me. We still have that battle raging within us, but we have the power of God within us to say, you know what, ain't gonna happen here. That thought may have crept in. That glance that was inappropriate may have happened. That consideration or conversation that was one that shouldn't have taken place, it may have begun, but I'm gonna shut it down right now. And it's no longer going to move forward any further than where it is right now. It's not a sin to be tempted, amen? amen? Now, our job, as we model the love of the Father in our homes and surroundings, is in our discipline, self-discipline, in our role as the head of the home, the spiritual covering for our wives if we're married, and families if we have kids, or roommates even, if that is our housing situation. Our job is to not walk, as we said yesterday, in the counsel of the ungodly, nor let ungodly counsel come from our lips. And men, we have the power to do just that. And dads, listen, you don't have to be a do as I say, not as I do kind of dad. 
Because the fact of the matter is, your kids are most often going to wind up doing what you do, not what you say. And we can be men like Paul, who could say with confidence in 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You know what that is? That's no brag, that's just fact. Paul says, I'm living in a manner that imitates Christ and therefore my life is imitatable. I don't know if that's a word, but it is today. This is a high calling, isn't it? It's a high calling to be a man. And one of the most wonderful things that I've ever heard my wife share and tell to other ladies is that how much she is in awe of the responsibilities that God has placed on me. And to hear her tell other women, I wouldn't want to be a man for anything. There's too much on their shoulders. I like having a husband who is my covering. I like one who cares for our home, who promotes heaven in it and protects it from hell. She's just fine in her role and she doesn't see coming under the divine arrangement as a negative thing. She sees it as a wonderful blessing. But it didn't used to be like that. It didn't used to be like when I was the one who thought he was the king of his castle. But when I began to realize I'm a servant of the one king, things began to change in our house. This is a high calling. And listen, men, if we will all answer, our nation and our world is going to change. And if we don't, consider what we read next in line chronologically in Scripture after the death of Joshua. In Judges 2, 7 to 12, we're told the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnathares in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaosh. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Listen, we have a direct relationship with the King of Kings. Your relationship, whichever Calvary Chapel you are a part of here or the Rock Church, you aren't going through your pastor to get to Jesus. You have an audience with Jesus directly. You have a relationship with the king of the universe directly. And it shouldn't matter if somebody in your life who has been an influence for you has now no longer been a part or is no longer a part of your life because Jesus is eternal and he lives forever and your relationship with him is the one that is most significant. And therefore, we don't have reason to wobble. We don't have reason to stumble and fumble. And thank God for godly men in our own lives who have an influence over us. Listen, Pastor Chuck, even though early in my years, I went to Calvary Costa Mesa for three and a half years, and it was wonderful, and then we moved, and then Pastor Greg was my pastor for 11 years. But Pastor Chuck was always my model. He was always the man that I really thought, you know what, this guy, Pastor Greg's a wonderful man, I'm not trying to disparage him. But Pastor Chuck, I, I learned some things from him that he didn't even know he was teaching me. I went up with the high school group. The first year, the, the Green Valley camp opened. It's a beautiful camp, much like this one. 
And the first group to go in was a group from Costa Mesa. The second group to go in was a group from Harvest, which I was uh, uh, one of the assistant pastors for the high school ministry there. And as we went to tour the facility, so we'd be familiar with it when our students arrived the following week, the kitchen had a portal door, you know, with a, a window, a round window you could look through. And as we passed by the kitchen, as the camp director was guiding us around, I heard somebody in the kitchen singing. And I thought, I know that voice. So I went and I looked through the portal and there's Pastor Chuck in there washing dishes, singing hymns. And I thought, you know, out of sight, nobody knows. And he's worshiping God, washing dishes. And I thought, you know what? That's a model for ministry. A humble man who's not too big for any task, who simply wants to adore and worship God no matter what's put in front of him. And men, we have an important role. It's critical to the health of our homes and our country. And we play a role that is so significant that the spiritual well-being of an entire generation is dependent upon us making one decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that intimidating? Not in the least. We're born for it. It's what God has rebirthed us to. It's exactly what we're made for, the soft stuff he gave to our brides. The ability to conquer idolatry, sexual perversion, and immoralities, attempts to invade our homes, he gave that power to you and I. And I mentioned some of the things I like a bit earlier, but guys, I have to say, I also like to cook. It's because I like to eat, partially, but <laughs> I also like the toys. I like the kitchen stuff. I like the big knives and butchers, cleavers, and the heavy pots, and I like all that stuff. I think that stuff is cool. But my wife always tells me, you cook like somebody who doesn't have to clean. because I don't clean. She does the cleaning. But, you know, that's true. And when I'm cooking, it looks like there was a war between me and the kitchen, and it was a tie. <laughs> I wipe my hands on her good towels sometimes. Oh, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I don't do it intentionally because to me, man brain says, towel is towel. And towel is towel only arrived at after shirt is full. <laughs> Terry cooks and cleans simultaneously. It's a miracle. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know how to do it. But my point is this, man. It isn't what you like to do or your hobbies that makes you a man. It's the role that you've been called to and the power that's been given you that makes you a real man. Real manpower. You know, we've drawn some illustrations before. I'll highlight it again this morning. There's plenty of losers who can hit the three. Gain the extra yard, steal second base, sink the long putt. That doesn't make you a man. It just shows you've got a particular skill. But there are a few today who are willing to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord manpower. It's still what being a man is all about. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we are thankful, grateful, 
passionate about the things that we have heard and learned together this weekend. And Lord, we also thank you that we got them all from your book. And therefore, we can know the things that we've read together, the things that we've heard and learned together, they're all true, and none of them will return void. And Lord, when we make that declaration that our house will be a house to serve the Lord, as sad as the commentary in Judges is, it was prefaced by a wonderful reality that the influence of Joshua lasted for over a generation. So Lord, may we be those who are willing to take a stand in times such as these where we're surrounded by false religions and claims of anointings, even from Jesus. And say as a man, we're going to protect or promote heaven in our home as we protect it from hell. Thank you for the high honor and calling of being a man who serves the Lord. And I pray that this declaration made so familiar and repeated many times, especially at men's retreats, is true for every man here. That he and his fear of influence will be influenced by the directives of the Lord. And they will serve them, him rather, in sincerity and in truth. Guys, we're going to move to a time now of remembering the ultimate man, the God-man. The man who entered into the world in the likeness of sinful flesh for an express purpose. And I didn't say amen because we're still in an attitude of prayer and reverence and worship. But guys, at times of communion, I always like to remind all of us of a principle in scripture known as the kinsman redeemer. You'll find it beautifully portrayed in the book of Ruth between the relationship uh, of Boaz and Ruth. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. There were basically four qualifications for being a kinsman redeemer. The first is you had to be a blood relative, even a near blood relative. And this is why it was necessary for Jesus to come into the world because you know what, you and I are never gonna be God. So we can never have a blood relative relationship with God, therefore God had to become a man and come in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's why Jesus entered the world in the state that he did, so he could become our kin. The next qualification for a kinsman redeemer is he had to be willing to redeem. And if you know the story in Ruth, there was a nearer relative to Ruth than Boaz, but he wasn't willing to redeem. He said, no, if I do that, it's gonna cost my sons their inheritance, so I'm not willing to redeem. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down to myself. You know what that means? He was a willing redeemer. The third qualification of a redeemer is that he is able to redeem. He had to be able to pay the redemption price. Boaz was able to do that for Ruth, and he did indeed, redeem, did indeed redeem her. And Jesus was able to redeem you and I because he became our near kin when he walked into life as God in human flesh with blood flowing through his veins. He proved his willingness to redeem by going to the cross, so he despised the shame of it. And he was able to redeem because his blood was able to pay the penalty accumulated by you and I for our sins. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Now the fourth qualification to be a kinsman redeemer is that the one who wanted to redeem couldn't be indebted themselves. They couldn't owe someone else 
a redemption price. And therefore, Jesus, who had not earned the wages of sin himself, proved that the grave had no right to his body. And early in the morning on the first day of the week, he proved that he was not indebted to death as he rose on that day and is alive forevermore, making daily intercession for you and I. You see, it's a magnificent reality we recognize today. It's not just some church ordinance or ritual. And I always find it interesting, and one of my favorite passages at communion time is what's often visited, but there's rather an obscure portion of it that I like to highlight as we come to the table. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, when he was revealed what took place at the Last Supper and the ordaining of the second blood covenant, the first covenant, the old covenant being a blood covenant of animal sacrifice. The new covenant was a covenant in Jesus' blood. He did what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He actually took away sin. But the thing I find to be amazing about this, what was revealed to Paul, what he received from Jesus Christ himself, is the opening statement of 1 Corinthians 11 as it concerns the communion time together and what took place at what we have dubbed the Last Supper. The most fascinating phrase in that dialogue to me is that Paul said, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and gave thanks. He took the third cup of the Passover meal, the cup of blessing, and he passed it among the brothers. The the same night that he was betrayed. Now listen, what that means to you, what that translates into today, is maybe your failures, your struggles, are as recent as today. What we're going to remember is the body and blood of Jesus has paid the penalty for your recent failures. Now, the Bible warns about coming to the table in an unworthy manner and says, you know what, some of you guys, you're you're getting here early so you can eat in front of the laborers from the fields who can't get here till later, and you're gobbling up all the food. Others of you are coming here and you're getting drunk, and then you're taking the communion offering together or the communion commemoration together. And, And the Lord says, you know, that's why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you even die. But what we're talking about here today is the immediacy of forgiveness that's available as we come to this table that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And on the same night that he was betrayed, he didn't say, you know what, man, after what Judas did, I want nothing to do with any of you guys. How do I know that you won't do the same thing he did? No. On the same night, Judas now gone from the table, out of the room, he said, I take this bread, which represents my body broken for you, I take this cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, the cup of blessing, and I share it with you. So men, I tell you, one of the most fantastic things about being a Christian is that when we come to the Lord under the covering of his blood, there's no grace period. There's just grace, period. And maybe your sin is recent. Maybe it was this morning. Come to the table with a heart of thanksgiving, having confessed your sin. You know what the word confess means? It means to see or speak of as the same. 
So when John, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that means is if we see our sin the way God sees it, then he's faithful and just to forgive it and cleanse us. How's he cleanse us? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So no matter how recent your failure, your sin, your evil thoughts that you gave entertainment to for a longer period than you should have, no matter what it is, come to the table today in agreement with God about your sin and partake of the wonderful blessings of his broken body and his poured out blood. Listen, we don't, um, at our church, and I think traditions are wonderful, we have our own, but just because of some experiences I've had personally, we have communion at our church as the Lord lays it on my heart. We have one tradition, we always, whenever we finish a book, we always have communion, and every New Year's Eve, we always have communion, and every Good Friday, we always, always have communion. But the rest of the time of the year, we just have communion as the Lord lays it on my heart, and here's why. Jesus didn't say do this often, he said as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And there's a lot of folks in our church. We have a heavy Hispanic population in our church. And a lot of them came out of Catholicism where communion was some type of styrofoam wafer shoved in their mouth and a sip out of a goblet that other people were drinking out of. And it didn't really have the capacity to call to remembrance the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is a sacred moment. This is a moment that represents the change of all time. It still marks time today. Today is marked between Anno Domini, A.D., and B.C., before Christ. And this is a significant thing that we're remembering, and we need to remember the power of Jesus becoming a kinsman redeemer by coming into the world in flesh so his body could be broken. Leviticus 17, 11 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So blood was necessary. A human body was necessary to carry that blood. And that blood had to be blood that wasn't indebted to the wages of sin itself. And that is exactly who Christ is and what this moment means. So ponder these things. And as the pastors and elders come forward now to pass out the elements, and as they do, I ask you to consider, no matter how recent your failure, the body and blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover your sin. Confess it, come into agreement with God about it, and enjoy the cup of blessing, which is the new covenant in his blood through the forgiveness of sins. So guys, would you pass out the elements? Remain in an attitude of prayer.